This is the preaching podcast from Keystone Church and Pastor Josh Cox. To find out more about Keystone, visit keystonerdu.church. We hope you enjoy today's message. We are beginning a brand new series today. And uh, we are beginning a series in the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms. Um, one of the most, or probably the most encouraging book of the Bible. Our series is subtitled, A Soundtrack for Life. A Soundtrack for Life. Um, as you know, Psalms were songs. They were uh, songs that were penned. Um, most of them by David, but not all of them by David. Um, but they, I call the book of Psalms the songbook of the Bible. Um, this summer in our connect groups in June, uh, Tim is going to be leading four weeks in, the, in June on worship. What does the Bible say about worship? Maybe just as important, what does the Bible not say about worship? It's always good to know both of those things, what the Bible says about something and then what it does not say um, about something. But we're going to talk through that in detail. But if you were to ask me kind of uh, base, you know, give me a one sentence answer on what's our philosophy of worship at Keystone, it's the book of Psalms. It's the book of Psalms. You see, in, contained in the book of Psalms are many different types of, of, of songs. You have songs of, of testifying of the goodness of God. You have really rich, deep theological psalms like 22, 23, and 24. You have uh, repetitive praise psalms like 150 and, and many others. You have songs, the majority of them are written in first-person praise to God, to our Savior. Um, if you want to know my personal philosophy on worship, it is the book of Psalms. We have ranging from what some people preach against, singing the same phrase over and over again, well, I can take you to several psalms that literally sing the same phrase over and over again. You say, well, I don't like some of those songs that are so deep theological, like trying to teach me something. Well, that's fine. I can take you to several psalms that are extremely deep in theology. Well, I don't like first-person praise. It sounds like I'm singing, it sounds, it sounds like I'm singing like a Jesus is my, my boyfriend song. Um, that's what I've heard before. You know, Jesus is my boyfriend. You just take like a Backstreet Boys song and put Jesus in front of it. And that's what it sounds like. Well, there are many, many, many psalms that are love songs to God. And I'm looking forward to unpacking a selection of these throughout the summer. We will, we will not be going in order, even though I'm beginning today in Psalm 1. Um, we will not, so you can turn there in your Bibles if you have there, but we are not going to necessarily go in order i'll be in this psalm for two weeks i'll begin it this week and then we'll move forward um, next week but the title of today's sermon is simply hashtag blessed hashtag blessed if you're like me every now and then you're having a really really bad week you looked in your bank account and you're like, man, I had money. Key word there, had. I had money. Things were going great, and the hot water heater went out, and then there was a leak in the roof, and then this, and then that, and like, oh, man, what happened? Oh, you know, uh, we've had many, many great weeks in my, in my marriage, but this week was just one of the worst weeks of my marriage, and man, this week is just terrible. We got some really bad news, some Family members or close relatives of ours. Just some really bad news. And this week has just been terrible. You ever had weeks like that? Be honest. We're in church. Be honest. I've had weeks like that. If you're like me every now and then you, which we do way too often. My wife's in here today. She's about to amen. You open up social media way too often. And you know what you see there? You see an Instagram influencer whose life looks perfect. It looks like she just stepped out in like a thousand dollar dress with her kids wearing like J. Crew and Ralph Lauren from head to toe. And they're walking, uh, you know, up to a, 
up to a mall and they got these great smiles on their faces and she's trying to sell you something or she's trying to get you to sign up for a workout group or she's trying to do something. I don't know what it is, but they'll, they'll finish with like their, little, their cute little caption that they had to Google. What's a cool caption? It can't just be like me and my family enjoying the day. No, it's got to be some quote that they have no clue about. But they find something, and then at the end they'll put hashtag blessed. And I want to be like, shut up. Like, oftentimes we parade around a kind of a fake lifestyle and we make ourselves look really good for that one picture that we post online. We took 15 others and we didn't like the angle or the lighting. Or it was a little bit too low, so it caught all five of my chins. All right, so whatever it is, and we wait for the perfect one. And just on a sidebar, you never win when you compare your behind the scenes with someone else's highlight reel. I'll repeat that because it needs to sink in. You will never win when you compare your behind the scenes to someone else's highlight reel. Can I give you an illustration in this room right now? In this room right now, we are filming. We've got three camera angles. We're filming. We take pictures throughout services, and we find the best ones that we can, and we will post them on our Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook accounts. Can I be real? We even do go as far as when we're taking a picture of a crowd shot, make sure we get the right angle so we're not highlighting these two rows right here that don't have anybody sitting in them. I'm just being real. If that's okay. If a, if a pastor's being truthful and honest, is that cool? All right, so we do that, all right? Um, what else do we not do? We don't do this right here. We don't take you back here, and we don't open up these curtains for you to see the stacks of bins that are back here and all the cords that are back here, and all the mess that we put together every week. You see, what people see, especially if they've never been here, they're like, wow, that looks amazing. And I want to be like, if you were here this morning at 729, you would have seen a completely different animal. And you see, we know the behind the scenes. If you stick around afterwards, you'll see us tearing this all down and putting it away, and you'll see the behind the scenes. But other people see our highlight reels, and I get calls that go, hey, man, I'm starting to plan a church. Can you tell me how you guys are doing it? And I'm like, I'll try. I have no idea. I don't know how we're doing it. We put some stuff up, and we put some lights up, and we go. Like, I don't know. But everybody compares our highlight reel to their behind the scenes. And that's a problem. I have to overcome that with folks. And if we're not careful, we will look at other people's blessed life. And we will begin to compare our struggles in life to their blessed life. Today we're going to talk about what a truly blessed life looks like. The pursuit of happiness in our culture and our society has absolutely consumed people. The pursuit of comfort, the pursuit of happiness, the pursuit of comedy, the pursuit of a smile. And by the way, there's nothing inherently wrong with those things. But it has consumed people for years. Whether through money or fame or through sense of accomplishment, whatever it may be, when men, women, and boys and girls all over the world have literally spared no expense to make themselves happy. Once a year, we're able to take our family down to Disney World. And you see firsthand what people are willing to do and spend and, and, and all the, the, the lengths that people are willing to go to for just a week of, of happiness. In this very first psalm, the writer, ironically, not David, will center his focus on what does it truly mean to be blessed? To be blessed. A pet peeve of mine is, for some reason, when you read the Bible... You want to pronounce this word, blessed. I'm not sure why. We want to add that second, that second uh, syllable there. But it is a blessed man. 
a blessed man. I guess it just sounds more spiritual. I'm having a blessed day. So anyway, bless you, my son. But uh, can we do this this morning? Can we have a word of prayer together? And then can we jump right in to our scripture? Heavenly Father, speak through your word. God, instruct us through your word. God, correct us through your word. Inspire us through your word. God, I pray that today we would leave with a grasp, a better grasp on your word. Understanding what it is to be blessed. To be what we would maybe deem as the word happy, not a direct synonym, but blessed. God, I pray that you would allow us to look at what your word says about that instead of relying upon what everyone else is telling us about that. Jesus, thank you for loving us. Thank you for dying for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Psalm chapter 1, beginning in verse number 1. I'm going to do this. Just Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. I want us to see two main thoughts today and some, obviously some sub thoughts underneath there. But first of all, I want us to look at the blessed man seeks healthy influences. The blessed man seeks healthy influences. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 14 helps us to understand this a little bit more clearly when it says, do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of evil. The blessed man will seek healthy influences. Notice what the passage says. Let's look in the text this morning. Ungodly influences seem to digress from walking to standing to sitting. Notice the pathway here of the the man who is following the ungodly or the man who is not seeking uh, the blessed life. He walks with and seeks the counsel of the ungodly. He walks with and he seeks the counsel of the ungodly. Secondly, he stands with and is known in the group of sinners. And finally, he will sit with those who would then scorn and mock. What does this teach us? This teaches us, church, that over time, if we're not careful, who we walk with, we will begin standing with. And who we stand with, we'll begin sitting with. What this teaches us through this psalm is that the longer that we allow certain influences in our lives, the more we will become like those influences around us. You see, if I'm walking with somebody, I can very easily head left when they head right. But when I am standing with someone, we're stationary. And when I'm seated with someone, I am now, for all intents and purposes, permanently fixed with that person. And let me just say this this morning. As believers, we must be aware. We must be aware of the crowd that we keep and those that we allow to influence us. It has been said that you are today the average of your five closest friends. Who you are today is the average of your five closest friends. Now, I thought about that statement this week and I thought about my five closest friends. And I laughed because it's, it's about true. There's elements of all five of my five closest friends that I see in my life. How many of you have heard this from a parent who thinks their kid does no wrong? Oh, he's not a bad kid. He's just with the wrong crowd. He ain't the wrong crowd because that's my kid. 
But no, he's with the wrong crowd. As my dad used to say, as probably as kindly as possible as a pastor, well, sweetie, if he's with the wrong crowd, then he is the wrong crowd. Or I've heard that like 500 times. Dad used to tell me that, son, stop blaming it on your friends. If you got bad friends, then, then you're bad too. So anyway. But we must beware of the crowd that we keep. We must understand that we will become like who we are hanging around. In fact, the truth is, once we get to that realization, we need to understand that we are, right now, who we have hung around in the past. Um, it is extremely important. Proverbs seventeen seventeen tells us that a friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. This tells us that true friendship, encouraging friendship, is loving friendship. And it's also friendship that is there for you during the adversity. How many of you understand, if you've got a bunch of friends right now and life is going really good, then let life smack you in the face and knock you down for a little while and see where your friends are. Are. And let me say, when, when life knocks you down, whoever is there to help pick you up are your friends. You see, your friends aren't your friends at the party. Your friends are your friends when your car got towed and you got to go get it. You see, your friends aren't your friends on the mountaintop. Your friends are your friends in the valleys. And so understanding this, can I be real though this morning, we must balance this tension because all throughout the New Testament, especially in the life of Christ, we see Jesus interacting with and spending a lot of time with sinners and ungodly people that Psalm 1 verse 1 kind of tells us to stay away from. Does everybody understand? Everybody, anybody else other than me kind of look in Scripture sometimes and you're like, okay, this passage of Scripture tells me to mark those people and to stay away from those people that are sinners and to do this. But I look at what Jesus did in the life of Christ and how he, he was willing to go eat with and be seen with and to minister to. And I came up with this as, as uh, I was reading a book about, uh, about families and how to parent properly. Praise the Lord. I was reading a book about that and this is a general rule of thumb that we have come up with as a family that we are keeping that i believe helps to further explain the biblical viewpoint on that how do we balance being a friend of sinners but not being friends with sinners right that's a tough balance and here's the rule of thumb that we are using with our family this is for us all four of us as long as you are the one doing the influencing, you can stay in that friendship. As long as you're the one doing the influencing, you can stay in that friendship. But when you become the one who is being influenced for wrong, then you will be removed from that friendship. Okay, and I, I hate to be super practical this morning, but that's our philosophy. Now, I understand that whenever you spend any amount of time with anyone, there's going to be things that influence. But this is a general rule of thumb. As my daughters grow older and continue to meet new people and, and, and make new friends, the moment that I see that friend negatively influencing my daughters to, be, to live their lives in a certain way is when we have a conversation about that person. But if my daughter, if her goal is to influence that person for right, to invite that girl to church, or Lord forbid when she gets older to invite that boy uh, to church, whatever it is, um, as they get older, but, but then we can stay in that. I can help you walk through that friendship. I can teach you in that friendship. I can be there for you in that friendship. But we must balance the two. The truth is this. There are some people that work with you wherever, you, wherever you're going to go to work on Tuesday. If you've got to go to work tomorrow, I'll pray for you. But go to work on Tuesday, wherever you've got to go to work on Tuesday, there's some people there that you probably don't need to spend any time with. There's also a bunch of people that you work with on Tuesday that you need to love and invest in and spend some time with. Does everybody understand the tension that we must always walk through? There are some times that we have to understand that some people just aren't good for some people. 
There was a boy, if I mentioned his name, my wife would know who he was. There was a boy that I was friends with growing up. He was not a bad kid. And I'll have to say this, I was probably not a bad kid either. But if you put me and this boy together, oh, some terrible things happened. I can't even tell him in church. This is getting videoed. All right, I can't even tell him. Some bad things happened when we got together. And so his parents and my parents just kind of got together and said, listen, we got two good kids. But when our two good kids get together, two, two rights make a wrong. All right, so uh, there's some issues here. So we're going to need to limit their time. The truth is we have to understand that. Because if we want to be a blessed person, if we want to be a happy person, once again, happy is not like the truest definition of that but in our vernacular that's a close if we want to live a life that is fulfilling we must limit our negative influences we must limit our negative influences and let me say this negative influences over time will drag you down they will change you and let me say this If you ever get all the way down with someone where you are seated in the seat of a scorner or a cynic or a criticizer, then you're going to need to go through some literal spiritual detox to get yourself where you can view the world again through pure eyes. If you've ever gotten to the point, and I'll say this, there's been times in my life I feel like I've been there. I've seated myself with a scorner. And I have become a cynical scorner. And it takes time to move out of that and to detox yourself into God. I know you've got something greater for me than sitting in this seat that I've been sitting in of, of the scornful. And by the way, if you'd like to do a word study on that word scorner, check out obviously the book of Proverbs one of the four main, main groups of people that he speaks to in the book of Proverbs is the scorner. Take a look at what the Bible uh, says about scorners. My favorite one, it says, smite the, uh, uh, no, 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 it's not it. Wrong one, sorry. I won't go there. I, it's talking about a fool. But, uh, but, but the Proverbs speaks over and over and over and over again about the scorner. The scorner. It even tells us in Proverbs to smite the scorner. Like physically, smite him so uh have that do that do with that what you'd like to do but at the end of the day who we run with can make or break us bad influences negative influences can break us positive influences on the other hand godly influences on the other hand can make us i want to give us just a little bit of a visual illustration of what a good crew a good group a good group of friends can do for you watch this all the way through That's what, I, that, that, that messed me up. That was like a woman in a video. That, I watched that thing like 15 times. Because that's what I want my friends to be like for me. And that's what I want to be for everybody that I come in contact with. Hey, if, let's, let's apply it to our lives. If you're just trying to break a board, and it seems like you're breaking your foot more than you're breaking a board, I want to be that guy. What's his name, TJ? TJ, I want... I want to be that. Listen, your influences, your friends, they will make you or they will break you. Secondly, I want us to see this, though. We're talking and walking down the path. 
of a blessed man. And so first we see that the blessed man will seek healthy influences in his or her life. But secondly, I want us to see this morning that the blessed man delights in God's law. The, the blessed man delights in God's law. Verse 2 says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Notice the fact that this blessed man delighted, delighted in God's word. That word delight literally means to pleasure in, to desire, to long for. He delighted in God's law. This blessed man understood the supernatural value that the word of God and the law of the Lord was in his life. You see, scripture to the blessed man was not an afterthought. It wasn't a, a check mark on a to-do list. It was his delight. It was his pleasure. It was his desire. It was his longing. It was for the law of the Lord. It was for the word of God. This Bible, this book, the commands and the laws of God to this blessed Man was his pleasure. And he didn't even work at Chick-fil-A. All right? It was his pleasure. And think about it this way. This blessed man that was, that was being written about in this stage of human history may have had the, first five, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. This man may have had portions of the book of Job. But his delight was in that law, was in that word. And he didn't even have the full 66 put together canonized scripture that we hold in our hands or that you hold in your phone or that you have plenty of them sitting around the house and you, you're not sure which one you're going to carry to church with you today. No, he delighted, this blessed man delighted in the law of the Lord, and let that be a reminder that this man delighted in the law of the Lord in its incomplete state. But there would be a more complete final word or final law, just like there was the law that he would read in the first five books of the Bible, there would come a great law fulfiller in Jesus Christ. And that's a reminder for us today that if this blessed man at the beginning of the book of Psalms could take the first five books of the Bible and portions of the book of Job and delight in that, then certainly once we understand that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, certainly we can delight in things like that. Certainly we can delight in the fact that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Certainly we can delight in the fact that God uh, demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, this blessed man at this point in time, literally in history, did not have those writings. Did not have those. Yet he delighted in the law of the Lord. I'm not going to dive deep into this, but let me just say this. The mentions of the law of the Lord, it happens over and over and over and over again throughout the Old Testament. Talks about the law of the Lord, the law of the Lord, the law of the Lord, the law of God. In fact, Psalm 119, every single verse in Psalm 119, it's the largest chapter in the Bible, every single verse of the chapter of the Psalm mentions something about the law of the Lord, whether it uses words like precepts or it uses words like commandments. It talks about the law of the Lord. And there is, as I've studied this out deeply, I actually called a pastor friend of mine this week and said, listen, man, help me walk through this. There, is this more than just the Bible um, in general? And I believe that there's a chance that it is, and it's not necessarily, it's just a, a deeper pinpoint. It's that there were the, the laws at that time that the Jews and the, and, and the Christians, those that were, were believers or, or God's people, that they would have to obey. There were things that were given to them. Read the book of Leviticus, read all of the law, read all those things, the books of the law. And they delighted in fulfilling what God had commanded them to do. 
not just the Bible in general, not just the first five books of the Bible in general, but no, they delighted in the laws of the Lord. Like, I know you're asking me to do some pretty crazy things. Read the Old Testament. You're asking me to do some things that are dirty. You're asking me to do some things that are, that are unconventional. You're asking me to do, but I delight in doing those. I delight in those offerings. I delight in those ceremonial things that I have to keep. I delight in those things. And let me say this, would to God some New Testament Christians who no longer have to obey those laws and no longer have to keep all of those laws, would to God we understand that, listen, we, we are living under the grace of God because of the gospel. And can we delight in His grace this morning? And I don't want to dig too deeply there. I don't want to try to pull something out of there that's really not there. And so I'll leave it at that. But at the end of the day, whether it's just the Bible in general or whether it's the actual specific laws and commandments of Scripture that he's referring to, at the end of the day, the blessed man takes what's found in this Bible right here and he reads it and he understands it and he follows it and it's his delight. He wants to. He desires to. Listen, we're a church of this book. We just finished preaching through the book of Ephesians. We just finished, most recently, preaching through the book of Habakkuk. We're going to select some psalms. And by the way, as I go through the psalms, I will not repeat a psalm until I have finished all the psalms as we think long term in our church. We're not going to do that on a row. We're stopping it in the summer. But this fall, we're going to be preaching through the book of Nehemiah. If you don't like this book, if this book does not, uh, does not create a thirst and a desire in you, then you may be at the wrong church. If this morning you, all, you only want to hear some really cool one-liners that look really good on social media the next week, if you only want to hear something that's, gonna, that's basically a TED Talk with a couple of Bible verses wrapped around it, that is not what you will find here. Because we want to create a passion for and a commitment to this book. This book and everything that is commanded inside of this book. Everything that's commanded. Some, the good things, the things that make us amen, the things that make us feel good, cool. The difficult stuff, the things that make us go, oh, I don't know if I agree with that. Like, I don't know, like, ugh. No, no, this book, delighting in it, delighting in it. The blessed man will treasure, seek after, long for, thirst for God's word. Will thirst for God's word. Can I ask you, what's your level of desire for this book? You say it's difficult to understand. You're right. I'll give you that. There, there are places of it that are very difficult to understand. That's fine. We live in 2019. Please be wise with this. If you want to run something by me or someone else. But you have so many resources available to you to help you determine what Scripture means and how it applies. It's everywhere it's everywhere in fact one area that we want to improve in in the future as we grow and continue to reach out is the is the platform of youtube right now we simply upload our sermons to youtube but right now there was a man who does digital i guess you call it digital marketing for churches i'm not afraid of those words it's all good uh, digital marketing for churches. Some people don't like using all that stuff together. But at the end of the day, it's what it is. Digital outreach for churches. And he said, if you just go on YouTube and you say, you type in how to study the book of, and you fill in a Bible book. Most of the time, you know what you're going to find? I love these. You're going to find what I, I like to call a basement theologian. You're going to find some dude sitting in his basement who, who's not involved in a church anywhere probably, uh, who, doesn't, who doesn't actively uh, 
share the gospel with anybody who doesn't, who's not, who's not preaching on a consistent basis, who's not sharing and serving in his, in his local church, but he's really smart and intellectual, and he's going to get there and he's going to tell you how to study the Bible. Instead, what churches should be doing is putting together a team of people and going, hey, we just went through the book of Ephesians, and I'm the pastor, and I've got three people up here, and we're going to talk through how we studied as a group the book of Ephesians together. And we want to help you, as you are right now opening the book of Ephesians, and we want to help you walk through this study. You see, what we want to do is we want to create a desire for God's word. We want to create a desire that when life goes wrong, the first place you turn is right here. Hey, when, when things are not going the way you think they ought to go, that you turn to God's word. That when I get up here and I preach something, which I'm, I will do at some point in time, I promise you, I will say something that is maybe not exactly 100% right down the line. I'm human, in case you guys didn't realize that. Spend 30 seconds with me and you'll figure it out. I want you to go, oh, wait a minute, hold up. I need to, huh, let me ask, I'm going to shoot Josh a text to ask him about that. Listen, I've been in church services where a pastor says some stuff that was absolutely not proper and not correct and not right. And it was absolutely that man's opinion and it was a wrong opinion. And you know what I see? People just, at the end of the day, here's what I want, guys. I'm serious. I want us to develop such a thirst for God's word that when we are going through the book of Psalms, we are going through the book of Psalms. It's not Josh is going through the book of Psalms and we're listening to him as he goes through the book of Psalms. It's no, we, we collectively are. And hey, Josh, have you thought about this? Have you seen this? Did you check, did you check out this verse? How do you think that verse applies? What do you think that verse really means as it relates to this chapter? A thirst for God's word. I mentioned that we had just preached the book of Ephesians, and, and that's the way we do that, just, just chapter by chapter and, and verse by verse. And what I have really enjoyed was Steve uh, had this idea after we got done with the book of Ephesians to implement that into our connect groups. And so over the last four or five weeks, we have been opening up the book of Ephesians again. And we have been discussing what the Bible says and questions about the chapters that we just preached through for six months plus. And we've seen the conversation go really deep in talking about the book of Ephesians. You see, it's a thirst for God's word. As a pastor, one, thing, one of the things that you always fight, and if you're here for the first time today, this is our church family, just listen in on, 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 on the rest of this, it's good. You fight becoming a personality-driven ministry. A personality-driven church. Which means this, I like the pastor and the way he preaches and his personality. And so that's why I go there. I fight that. Because that is not a healthy reason to go to a church. Now believe me, I would rather you like me than not like me, okay? Please. But can I just say this? That's the reason why, on a pretty consistent basis, somebody else in our church family, and God has blessed us with, with people that can stand up here and preach. I don't know if you've noticed this, but most of the time when other people preach in our church, I'm not out of town. I'm usually sitting down here. You know why? Because I'm trying to develop a church that says, I'm coming to church, there, if there are 10 elements to a church... I'm coming to church for all 10 of them. I'm not coming just because I like the music. That's one of the elements. I'm not coming because I like the fellowship with the other people. That's an element. I'm not coming because I like the kids ministry. No, that's an element. I'm not coming because I like the connect groups. No, that's just an element. I'm not coming because I like the, the ladies activities. That's just an element of our church. Let's just say there's 10 of them. At the end of the day, I, am, I want to develop a Sunday morning appetite for this right here. And I believe Tim would echo, he wants to develop a Sunday morning appetite of worshiping Jesus, not listening to Tim worship Jesus, but all of us worshiping Jesus. 
I don't want you to come here just to hear Josh and what he has to say about the law of the Lord and the Bible. No, I want to hear the Bible. I want to hear the Bible. And if Steve is preaching it or Jeff is preaching it or Tim is preaching it or a guest speaker is preaching it, I want to hear the Bible. And this is just my heart to this morning, folks. If we have a guest speaker that comes in here and reads you one verse and takes one little phrase from a little verse and closes his Bible and preaches the rest on that one little phrase and never opens his Bible again, I want you to go. I want you to come to me later and go, hey, Josh, we can probably do without that. Because this, this word, this is what we are about. This book. In conclusion today, I hope you understand my passion for it. I hope you understand my passion for it. I have far too often heard, I want to read you a verse. And this is about the pillars. This is great. Y'all think, I, y'all going to think I'm lying. I've heard sermons like this. Samson. You know, he, he stood there in, 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 the, in the room, in, in the building, and he pushed the pillars, and they fell. I'm going to give you three pillars tonight that you need to push out of your life. The pillar of a bad attitude. The pillar of complacency. And the pillar of blah, blah, blah. Well, I'm sorry. Maybe you do need to get rid of your bad attitude. Maybe you do need to get your complacency. You need to get rid of your whatever blah, blah, blah was. But that ain't what the Bible says. That ain't what that verse is teaching you. That's not what the life of Samson is trying to tell you. Oh, he laid, they came over the river, and then they placed ten stones for, to remember. Well, let me tell you, I'm going to give you ten things tonight that you need to remember. And just come up with something off the top of your head. Y'all think I'm crazy I've heard preaching like that before. We're committed to the Bible. Who said it? Who were they saying it to? What was going on historically at the time? How did it apply to them during that day? How does it apply to us today? A commitment to God's word. And can I just say, that commitment shouldn't just be pastor-led. That commitment should be church member-fed. That should be church member-agreed upon. That should be church member-learning. That should be church member-coming alongside and going, this is how we operate. This is how we we love the Bible. This is how we teach the Bible. This is how we learn Scripture. We're going to continue through this passage in this chapter next Sunday as we move along to verse 3, and there's some really, really good points in the remaining of this chapter. But can I ask you today, who are you allowing to influence you? These are two somewhat unrelated points, but not really. Who are you allowing to influence you? Or are you surrounding yourself with healthy influences? And if you have unhealthy influences, it may be time for you to, once again, as another great theologian, Elsa, said, maybe time to let it go. Very practically this morning, as it relates to your friendships, Can I give you permission? I hold no position over you, but just can I give you permission to limit your friendship circle? It's okay. If you're like me, I'm a type A, I'm an extrovert, and I feel like I have to be everybody's friend. Can I give you permission? Jesus, the son of the living God, almighty, 100% God, 100% man, perfect, never sinned. Twelve close friends. One of them was a fake. Out of those twelve, three of, three of them, did he pull into his inner circle? Peter, James, and John. Can I give you permission? I'm not, I'm not giving you permission today to be a jerk to everyone else. <laughs> some, some people are like, oh, cool. I ain't going to be your friend. Uh, you know. I'm not giving you permission, to, but I am giving you permission. It's okay. It's okay. I believe that I and others maybe put undue pressure on ourselves to be everyone's backbone and everyone's support. And certainly those are not bad things. Be a support and backbone for as many people as you possibly can be. But can I just say, we have to understand we only have so much bandwidth. God has only given you a circle that is yay big 
And some of your circles are bigger than others. That's fine. But can I give you permission this morning to limit your friendships to those that either you are influencing for right actively or they are influencing you for right actively. Does that make sense? Either you are actively influencing them, so you are helping them along, whether in their spiritual life, maybe by reading the Bible with them and you're trying to form an accountability partnership or you're helping them, you're, you're bringing them to church with you, whatever it may be, okay? Or they are actively helping you. You've reached out and said, listen, there's some areas that I struggle with, whether spiritually or whatever. I need your help, and I need to be a part of this. This needs to be in my, my friend circle. If you find yourself with the ungodly, the sinners, the scorners, it may be time to remove yourself from that friendship and influence. But, verse 2, it's a transitional word. But his delight is in his friends. His delight is in his crew, his circle, his squad. Is that the... I'm way too old to be saying that stuff. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, no, no. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And the truth is this. You don't need anything more than what God has given you, and that is his word and his spirit to guide you. And instead of valuing unhealthy relationships this morning, we need to start valuing God's word. And what it can do in our lives. This is an old song and I will not sing it. In fact, I don't even like this genre of Christian music. But it's okay. It's all good. I love this old song. It says this about the Bible. It's a well of pure water when I'm thirsty and dry. And bread when I'm hungry and worn. When the battle is raging, it's my faithful sword. It's a shelter from life's troubled storm, the Bible. It's a light to my pathway and a lamp to my feet. When this world gets so dark, I can't see. And I'm not made a change in one word that it says, but it sure made a change in me. You see this blessed, old, blessed, blessed, old book that I hold in my hand. It's true from beginning to end. It's the solid foundation where I firmly stand. Sin kept me from it. Now it keeps me from sin. How many of you have ever heard that song before? Raise your hand. The real Christians in the room. That's what I'm talking about. I would sing that song for you. In order to sing it properly, I'd have to plug my nose sing really high and nasally and I can't do that for you this morning but at the end of the day this book is it your delight is what God wrote in this book what you long for what you thirst for what you desire you say my life is anything but blessed it's anything but happy okay Stop valuing your ungodly and unhealthy friendships and influences and start valuing this word right here. Spend as much time caring what this word says as you care about what everybody else thinks about you. Start valuing what God said in his word instead of valuing what other people think about you and your unhealthy friend culture and friend circle. A happy life, a blessed life, it means waking up tomorrow and opening up God's word. I'm in a Bible reading accountability group for the whole year with some pastor friends of mine. And it's been super healthy. In fact, and I would never say who is in those groups or anything. In fact, one of the men this morning texted and said, hey guys, you may have seen I'm a little bit behind on my Bible reading right now. It's been a rough few days. I want to let you guys know I'm catching up tomorrow. Everything's going to be caught up. Just wanted to stay accountable. That's called the Christian life. That's called people helping people. That's called encouragement. That's called, you can't, he hadn't been, he's not been breaking that, I can't even lift my leg that high. He's not breaking that, 
that, that, uh, that board. He can't break that board. He's struggling. And you know what he needs is some friends to get around him and TJ, 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 break that board. You see, at the end of the day, godly friendships centered around God's holy word. Oh, that's a blessed life. That's a blessed life. I want to encourage you today as we dismiss, don't just bolt for the exit as quick as you can. Find some people that maybe you don't know and get to know them a little bit better. Shake their hand. Form friendships. Form friendships. Tomorrow morning, tonight, you don't have to read your Bible just in the morning, by the way. Newsflash. Tonight, before you go to bed, open up this book right here. Let it speak to you. You say, Josh, I'm not sure. Well, then get one of the 5,000 Bible apps on the App Store or whatever, Google, whatever store you got. And they all got Bible reading plans with them and helps and study guides. And if you, if you need help in those areas, let me know. I'll, I'll point you in the right direction. In fact, there's some men in our church right now. We're in Bible reading groups together. Blessed life. Hashtag blessed. No, it's not the Instagram model. Nope. I saw something the other day. I follow one of these people. I'm not sure how I started that. But anyway, we got some bunch of mutual friends. Oh, I'm friends with her husband and stuff. So it was like this picture, like, of them, like, walking somewhere. And they're like, and they just look like, like they came out of a magazine. And, like, later on, I guess she posted stories or something. Someone was taking a picture of the person taking a picture of them and what was going on. And it was insanity around them. And I just wonder, like, all these people walk around, and here you are, like, trying to pose for a picture, like, mid-stride, like, smiling with your kids. How does that even work? At the end of the day, if that's a happy life, you can have it. You can have it. I want my friends to be real. I want them to be right with God. And I want this word right here to lead and guide and direct. This has been the preaching podcast from Keystone Church and Pastor Josh Cox. For more information about Keystone Church, visit keystonerdu.church. Please subscribe to hear future messages. Thank you.